Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. To, to Two Guys, One Book. I am Brian, and I, I am always joined by... Tim. Tim, yes. Now, we are going to talk about another book today, like we always do, um, to try to distract us in these tumultuous times. But of course, I had to pick, and this is a Brian pick this week, that's why I'm talking first. Um, and I picked The Soul of America, The Battle for Our Better Angels by John Meacham. So, and so this is a history book. Why'd you pick it? Why'd I pick it? I picked it because I have seen this guy talk, he seems like an intelligent person, and this is a book it says right there, the soul of America. How, like, I feel like at this time, there's so much going on in the world, and America s- seems to be floundering in its role as as a world leader, and I feel like it's, you know, good to take time to reflect on the, the, what makes America, America, and, and that you do that by looking back through history, and there's been... In this book, it goes through multiple times when there's been um, tumultuous times in American past where uh, society has been strained, whether it was the Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, or anything in between, um, and how America got through those times as an encouraging sign that we can get through these times. Mm -hmm. So I kind of started by explaining why I picked it and then segued into why it's so relative today. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. But I will say my first impression just on the title alone is like, that's kind of an obnoxious title. <laughs> just like <laughs> the soul of America, the better angels. And I'm like, I feel bad that that's my first impression. It, you should I know feel bad. It's you a, feel very bad. It's a well-intentioned book, but uh-huh. I just think some of these like terms feel like platitudes that are kind of played out mm. where, I don't know. like. No, I, I, I understand. Yeah. Um, I do feel like there can be times when people want to market something so they use you know, like that's what the tr- the president does is he uses extremes to explain everything everything is either great or it's the worst thing ever you know and and i feel like that's kind of how social media has exacerbated that too to the point where we have no nuance or no in between like he could call this america yeah we're we're okay overall but we've had some shitty times you know like he's not going to call it that right yeah i will say Despite that first impression, I, re- I did enjoy the book quite okay. a bit. And um, I think going off your point, like, he made a lot of, uh, he gave a lot of examples of, like, times in our history that were very polarizing mm-hmm. and trying and challenging. And so he makes all those points just to say, like, you know, this is not unusual to, to today. Like, all of our problems seem magnified because we're living through them right now. But it's not unusual because we've had things similar to this throughout history. Right. And I, and I think that's a good point, is that America has been through ups and downs before. It seems really crazy right now with everything going on in the world, and rightfully so, but we're going to get through this too, again. Yeah, can I, so something just popped into my head sure. that reminds me, um, you know the book we read that you didn't like called The Laws of Human Nature by <laughs> Robert Greene? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all right, I, the book was fine, and I and it's a book that I have thought about often well not often but every now and then i'll think about it in my daily life mm-hmm. and so it's you know it, but go on it, i'm sorry laws no, of human it's nature fine. it's robert green yeah it's yeah. long it could have been better but yeah 
Anyway, one thing that kind of stuck with me out of that was um, this chapter on generational myopia, mm. which I think is just an interesting concept. I don't think I'd ever heard before that book. But the idea is that it's hard for us to see beyond our current generation, which is like very well illustrated in this book that we're so caught up in these times that, um, you know, we need to go back hundreds of years and just see uh, what people dealt with at that time and how maybe it felt like the end of the world to them too, but it's like they got through it and things progress ultimately like the martin luther king jr quote like Mm -hmm. the arc of moral justice is long but it bends towards justice something like that the arc of the moral universe is or justice moral (laughs) yeah you got it (laughs) that was in this book by the way yeah yeah yeah. so so you overcame your um your trepidations about the title of the book and you overall liked it i liked it yeah good do you read much history books so not really. Okay. <laughs> I honestly haven't much either. Like I, I read parts of what is that? A, the People's History of the United States by uh, Howard Zinn, mm-hmm. I think. And that was, I found that interesting. But like I, history was always, I don't know. I am more interested in history now than I ever been, and I think a lot of people are like that now because I think we have rested on so many norms. In our political and soci- soci- sociology, societal enterprises, that um, we don't realize what's actually law and what is just a norm, and I think people are taking a time now to be like, oh, whoa, like, you know, maybe we need to reassess some things or or just learn more about the actual structure of our government and its foundation. Yeah, that's something that's definitely come to light in the last few years. Is like maybe it's not as clear as we thought like what's um clear cut in the law and what's expected a lot of it is norms like you said Mm -hmm. but i think speaking of history books like i think the reason i don't read more is that i've tried reading these biographies of like george washington or like some historical figures but a lot of it to me feels kind of dry and they just focus on some details of their life that i don't find super interesting like kind of getting caught up in the weeds but a book like this kind of synthesizes different eras of history Mm. so Maybe it's just because I have a short attention span. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but, you millennial. Uh, yeah, you ADHD. Mil- I just need yeah. spark notes for history. And <laughs> I'll be good. But um, no, I think I think there is something to that. To read a biography is a deep dive into a very specific person. You know, so I I think uh, that's great if you are very interested in a particular person or time period, perhaps. But um, and that's one thing I liked about this book is it did skip through um, history and kind of like hit the the main points i can go over like the exact uh eras he talked about yeah essentially there were seven chapters and a conclusion and the seven chapters the first one is kind of like an intro where he talks about and so like the first one kind of had me scattered a little bit when i was reading it because he was quoting all the presidents abraham lincoln fdr he wasn't really talking about any concrete time period but what i determined what i realized later was the intro was kind of like an overall uh, little tidbits about the different presidents he was going to hit on because then he focused chapter two was abraham lincoln chapter three was teddy roosevelt chapter four was like woodrow wilson and women's suffrage because uh, not all of them were about a specific president um chapter five was fdr chapter six was about uh joseph mccarthy um and mccarthyism and and during the 50s and chapter seven was about lyndon, lyndon johnson and then he had a conclusion where he kind of i felt like the conclusion could have been a little longer it was i felt like after going through all of this, I wanted I I um I wanted to know more about what he felt like each each one of those examples how how 
it could all tie together in today's society. Mm -hmm. But when looking over my notes throughout the whole book, I realized he was kind of just doing that throughout. Yeah. What I think, and that's well explained, but Mm -hmm. what I really liked about his approach is that deep down, I think this is a very much an anti-Trump book. And, but he never, as far as I can remember, never even says Trump's name or at least refers to him very indirectly. Right. And, um, I think he might've mentioned Trump's name once. Yeah. But, or twice, but like, you're right. He would allude to him more Mm -hmm. than anything, but. Oh yeah. I just say that to say like, you know, he gets all his free marketing and I just mentioned his name. So I'm part of the problem. Uh, But, uh, (laughs) you know, like his whole angle is like, I'm going to be as controversial as popular. So I'm getting all this free media airtime because Mm -hmm. everyone's talking about this last crazy thing that I did. Mm -hmm. But this book is a very like well thought out, well reasoned examples of case studies that just kind of show like what our country is really about, like deep town, like we've had all these flawed leaders throughout history and definitely like things we've had to overcome as a country and issues to work through. But like on the whole, there's like a moral character that, you know, our current Mm -hmm. president president is missing right exactly yeah and i think i think that's a good point because i think the author does a very good job of displaying the faults of these presidents too um how abe lincoln you know said that he if he could if he would keep if he could keep slavery and keep the union together he'd do that if he could abolish slavery and keep the union together he'd do that and and but like but then eventually you know it's like it's about men or i mean unfortunately they've all been men uh you know, in positions of power like the presidency, who may not are flawed individuals, but rise to the occasion and ultimately forge a path for America to progress forward in a in a better way. Yeah, I like that he's upfront about it because yeah. I think a lot of historical books will just kind of focus only on the virtues of these people, but he's pretty open about their shortcomings. And I think you know, we do that. Overall, as a society, and I think a lot of the whole debate about who we have monuments and statues to is is a reminder that you know nobody is really perfect. Um, but at the same time, I feel like people do tend to gloss over uh, the the heirs of the the shortcomings of our founding fathers and yeah. other famous people like that. That's fair. I think you have to keep in mind like the context and the mm-hmm. how everything they did was relative to the time period. And, like, you might assume, like, eating meat today is something that'll be vilified. Like, Mm -hmm. in a thousand years, there'll be no Mm -hmm. meat-eater statues. I know that's a silly example, but, like... (laughs) No, I like it. I like it a lot, Tim. I'm saying it right now. No (laughs) meat-eater. By what year? 2050? No, that's too soon, right? 3,000. We'll what, be, 3, it'll be the singularity and there'll be uh, robots everywhere. So you think... Oh, that's a good question. All right, sidebar. Yeah. What's going to happen first? AI take over the world or humans give up meat permanently so i think the direction we're heading in is that just everyone's going to be like heads down on their phone like TikTok 24 7 <laughs> and like we won't think about eating meat we'll just have like feeding tubes like it'll be like <laughs> matrix you know yeah it's so, brave new world matrix. so okay all right so kind of a hybrid of the two a little orwell in there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice yeah just you have to borrow from all the dystopians you yeah know? no i as a dystopian fan i'm all about it Tim. <laughs> you're speaking my language what, there yeah um what about you where do you see this going oh well i think we'll all just become slaves to amazon first before anything <laughs> else happens <laughs> hey i'm an amazon fan i know let the record show i mean heck i read this book on a kindle yeah 
hypocrite. I no, I don't. I'm not saying. If I'm there's perfect. a statue of you. I'm taking it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it won't be a statue of me doing anything to help Amazon <laughs> make more money. <laughs> It'll be you reading. Then they already take from me. <laughs> but anyway. Um, but yeah, you're. We're all flawed, like our past yes. leaders. Did you have a favorite? Uh, president that they talked about or chapter so i thought the most interesting presidential focus chapter was lbj ah. because you know you really hear about how uh important he was in helping civil rights legislation mm-hmm. get through and i kind of knew that uh conceptually but then you really hear more of like how far he had to go to convince senators and representatives and um yeah just as a leader he seemed very persuasive and influential so right. that was no, cool. yeah I, I i always think that I think LBJ is unfortunately caught between two um, polar opposites. Like he, on one hand, he's got these civil rights laws that he signed and and was a big part in getting passed and everything. But then on the other hand, you got Vietnam. You yeah. know, really, you know, it was the seeds were planted before he got there. Yes, but then and then also Nixon took over after he left. Sure, but um, that's the unfortunate thing is like because that's one thing I know my dad who grew up through the, the through those times. I mean. That's one thing he, he just can't help but but take into account. But on a, on a domestic policy side, LBJ was fantastic. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah Vietnam totally like tarnishes legacy. Yeah. I think. But um, right. But when you think about the seventies in general, like the few things he referenced. I mean, you had what was Kennedy assassinated in the sixties or seventies? Sixty three. Six, oh, really? Yeah. That early? Yeah. I don't know why I thought. Well, yeah. his, his did you brother, read the book? <laughs> I, I didn't memorize every freaking date. So, but his brother was assassinated in like. 70s i think 68 or yeah robert kennedy bobby? was killed bobby kennedy was killed in 1968 after. like a few months after martin luther king was killed okay well i say that to say like uh-huh. the late 60s early 70s yes. was known as a pretty crazy polarizing like end of the world feeling time so even though it kind of feels like we're caught in something like that mm-hmm. now things were pretty bad back then too yeah. So. yeah they were and i think um a few years ago, Slow Burn, there's a Slow Burn podcast out there. They have a couple seasons, and season one, they focused on Watergate. And I think that came out two years ago. And it was eye-opening because they talked about how Nixon was very popular, uh, but then this Watergate thing happened, and it took a lot of, it took a lot of evidence to get people to, get against, to um, turn against Nixon, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And so it just made me think about parallels today, too. But when you think about that scandal then compared to now, I think there's so many things you could argue that deserve almost that level of scrutiny. But with like that book we read, The Road to Unfreedom, mm-hmm. and how like Russians, the Russian intelligence approach is just like deny truth. Like there's no objective truth, it's all subjective. I feel like that, you know, represented in the Trump campaign's approach, it's like, when you deny an existence of an objective reality, you never have to own up to these scandals because right. you just, yeah, are always evading it. Right? Yeah. So yeah. like, if Watergate happened today, he'd just be like, I know, right? That's that's what's, that's what's kind of crazy is yeah. that for how huge Watergate was in the in the early seventies, like it would just be a drop in the bucket today, yeah. which is kind of sad to think about. Uh, hopefully, that would not be the case, but I mean, yeah. you look at. I mean, technically, he was impeached already. So, I mean, yeah. Anyway, well, we'll see, we'll see what happens in November. Cause yeah, we'll see. Fingers fingers for... crossed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, new start. But um, I think I mean I like the LBJ. I liked a lot of this stuff. I um, my but my favorite chapter was probably about McCarthy. 
Okay, that was good. Yeah. yeah. What did you like about it? Because I felt like McCarthy, and we can get into it when we do more quotes um, about the, from the book. McCarthy was very uh, astute at playing the media and the press, and he would rail against. He was from. I think he was a senator from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and he would rail against the Milwaukee Journal paper, um, and he would say like, you know. It doesn't matter whether or not they can prove what they're reporting on. It's a matter of like I am, if I constantly just you know rail against them, then I'm slowly chipping away at their credibility, so that whenever they do say something on me, it's not going to stick. Yeah. I mean, and so like there's so much about McCarthy that I just see in Trump, so so easily, and it's it's so sad. But you know the thing that made me optimistic at the end is like he talks about how McCarthy just pretty much got. People got tired of him. Like, mm-hmm. the other politicians, especially, just, mm-hmm. like, you're doing the same thing over and over. Like, we can tell at a certain point that you're just trying to rile up, you know, the public. Right. So, I think, at a certain point, people grow tired of that act. It becomes kind of predictable. It does. But I think <laughs> I think people's tolerance for pain, especially in the Republican Party, is pretty <laughs> high right about now. Because they can, they'll just close their eyes, plug their ears, <laughs> and just keep... Keep approving judges to the courts, because that's all they seem to care about. Well, at the same time, everyone is wired for self-preservation. Mm. So if you're a Republican and you get the sense that the country is lean, like supporting Trump and your constituents are supporting him, then you mm-hmm. feel like you need to back this horse, even though like privately you probably like disdain a lot of stuff that he's doing. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's not so black and white as to say like oh, every Republican sure. is like yeah. to blame. Yeah. I know, I know. I can get on You're my part head. of the problem, Brian. Yeah, I am. Polarized. <laughs> it's okay. We were here before in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. But no, McCarthy, uh, have you seen that movie, Good Night and Good Luck? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a good movie. Yeah, it was. George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. And those clips were real, a lot of them. Yeah, because it's crazy. I think every clip they showed of McCarthy was yeah. actual footage of them. Yeah. But then they had, like, uh, the actor beat Edward R. Murrow. And that's yeah. something we're kind of missing today, is just like, you know, universally respected journal, like journalist voice that both sides, like mm-hmm. nonpartisan uh, lines that they speak to. Right. You know. Right. That like, what's the nice. closest thing to that today? Gosh, I don't know. Sixty Minutes person. Maybe. I don't even know who that is. You don't even know who that is. Who is that? I don't know. Scott Pelley, Bill Whitaker, <laughs> uh, Anderson Cooper. And, uh, he's uh, CNN. I know, but he's on Sixty Minutes too. Uh. Um, Leslie Stahl. Uh, I know I'm missing somebody. You're just name dropping now. I just I just love me some sixty minutes, man. <laughs> Joe Rogan, he's close to no! <laughs> Oh my God, God help us if, if Joe Rogan is our is our collective is our, consciousness is our of society. Oh my God. Oh yeah yeah. Anyway, so um, what didn't you like about this book? What did I not like? Yeah. Why do you got to focus on the negative, Brian? Well, you always <laughs> I are. How, yeah. I always on. do this. You always do this. Um, how could it be better? How could it be better? Oh, I see. You frame it that way. How is it not reaching its potential? Oh. Um, I would say it did get a little repetitive, like especially towards the end, I think. Right. Um, I thought he was repeating himself in the conclusion a bit and just a little bit in general throughout. Like, And I thought it'd be... like I liked it the first third, second third, but then mm-hmm. it didn't really go on to other topics as much. So, I don't know. I felt like it could have been fleshed out a little bit more. Mm. To me, it felt like it stayed on the surface a bit. But I still liked it overall, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'd recommend it. Yeah. How, how do you think it could be better? That's a good question. <laughs> I think, like, kind of what I said a little bit ago was about 
I wanted him to like take me through the common thread through all these and and maybe uh, explicitly say like what can we look for or what can we what can we do today to further America's progress I know it's like gonna be it would probably be something simple like vote get involved be engaged or no he kind of does he kind of does have some tips at the end there yeah like right don't engage in tribalism um, right try to learn and i like that tip about like trying to learn from the other side too yeah um, yeah he had like an eleanor roosevelt quote i think right. that was good about that right yeah enter the arena the bat- the battle begins with political engagement itself then resist tribalism respect facts and deploy reason find a critical balance and then keep history in mind yeah so. just in general i thought his tone was pretty like even keeled yeah like he's not someone who's just making these emotional appeals and oh, trying to right. get someone riled up no and yeah. i feel like that's just it like it didn't he it was he, he referenced the current president but it wasn't like he was just dogging on trump the whole time you know no he was he his focus here was to show us what real leadership looks like yeah and how flawed human beings in the highest office in the land can ultimately lead America down the righteous path. Going off that, um, what did you think about like the FDR chapter? Like, I liked it a lot. Yeah, that was I, good. I mean, and, and FDR is always a figure I always uh, enjoyed in history. Um, it's crazy to think that he, he was elected the presidency four times. Right. That's insane. The only one. Yeah. But he wasn't even that popular, like, at least, I think, for his first election, it was kind of close, he right. was saying in the book. Right. Yeah, I, and good point, that um, the election in 1932 was very critical, because the Depression was just starting, and I think that was when Hitler was just, maybe maybe it was the more late 30s, I think, when Hitler was taken over. And, but, and I was surprised how much pressure there was for isolationism, mm-hmm. where it's like, someone, it was actually like the majority of people did not want the U.S. to get involved in the war, and... I know there was Pearl Harbor that kind of forced our hand in that, but I mean, it's hard to imagine history like if those powers had kind of kept ex- like expanding westward, and they right. like the UK and France and all these mm-hmm. countries didn't get our support. Right. I mean, and, and it reminds me of other uh, historical fiction books like um, Plot Against America by Philip yeah, Roth, right. where FDR doesn't win, doesn't become president. It's President Charles Lindbergh. And, and Lindbergh makes an appearance in this book and about how he was very very staunchly opposed to the war to the point where he was using almost race-like language is right. the reason why we shouldn't because it, it wasn't like we were facing some foreign invader it was the Europeans fighting amongst themselves so white people should just be able to allow, allow to figure it out mm-hmm. when Hitler was doing all this craziness so, so Plot Against America is, was a very interesting book I highly recommend that one Another one I read is um, The Man in the High Castle. Oh, that, they made a show about that. Yeah, right? they did. Yeah. I think they're, they're working on a miniseries for Plot Against America. Okay. I think HBO is. Nice. But um, I, know I haven't seen the show, Man in the High Castle, but I read both those books. Both are about, like, Plot Against America is about FDR never becoming president, and Man in the High Castle is about the Allies losing the war, right. so America is split up between Germany and Japan. Yeah. So, which is also interesting. It's crazy to think about, but it's I know. totally could have happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it is. It is surreal to try to wrap your but, head around the, the alternate. And uh, it, yeah, like yeah. alternative history. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's like 
a waste of time to get too hypothetical <laughs> and go down like these rabbit holes. Yeah. But I mean, it's worth that mental exercise just because we, I think we take so much for granted. Yeah. Um, and and you think about someone like Huey Long in this, mm. which I didn't know a whole lot about, but he was a very interesting like person who was also kind of like McCarthy and Trump, someone who just like got people riled up right. and really emotional. And he had this populist like backing, but he got assassinated. So right. Yeah. I was very interested in Huey Long. I do not know much about him. I remember him vaguely from history class, but the the quotes and I and this book is riddled with quotes. He yeah. uses quotes from presidents' speeches and and writings and all this stuff. So that's one thing I appreciated is that he was not like the author was not creating a, a narrative on his own using historical facts. He was literally using the words of the president to to to, to tie his thoughts together. Yeah and a few quotes from Huey Long, to me, even sounded more like Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where he talks about wealth. It, he, he almost says income inequality. He doesn't say that phrase, but he says, like, wealth distribution or the rich have too much rip, uh, money and that kind of thing. Right. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. Maybe I should look into more Huey Long stuff because I found him an interesting character. Yeah. I mean, whenever someone gets popular, like, you have to really think hard about why they're getting that support mm. and what's, like, the reasoning behind it. Mm. But when they do make appeals out of fear and emotion, then yeah. that's when you start kind of, like, questioning it. George Wallace was another one. Yeah. I mean, because he was a... Segregationist. Uh, yeah. yeah. Crazy character. And I did not know this, but George Wallace ran on as a third-party candidate for president mm. in 1968, and he even won, like... Four states. Four or five states. Yeah. Like, all deep south states, of course. But it's crazy to think about that he won that many states. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's the unfortunate reality is, like, LBJ even acknowledged that by him doing the Civil Rights Act, uh, he may have ceded the south to the Republican Party for a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's because an interesting it, Because point. the south, all through... The late 1800s and early 1900s were pretty staunchly Democrat. Right. Um, but, you know, it's amazing how time changed. Yeah, like, was that the sacrifice, too, for getting some civil rights legislation pl- passed? Was that, like, turning these southern states against the party? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one thing I found interesting mm-hmm. is that Martin Luther King Jr., uh-huh. uh, he, w- he was featured in a chapter of Robert Greene's book, Law- Laws of oh, Human okay. Nature, right? Yeah, yeah, he I was. So. Trust me, I yeah. remember that. That was one of my favorite chapters. And Martin Luther King Jr. Um, doesn't want to be a preacher at first, and then he ultimately decides he's got the calling to be a preacher. Uh-huh. Martin Luther King Jr. was um, a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama. He arrived there in 1954, and then in December of 1955 is when Rosa Parks um, refused to give up her seat on the bus, and then they start the Montgomery bus boycotts. Mm-hmm. It's almost like fate that Martin Luther King Jr. arrived in Montgomery, Alabama a year before Rosa Parks um, takes her stand. Mm -hmm. And then you have the right person in the right place at the right time. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Timing's everything. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yeah, I think he had some good references to Martin Luther King Jr. Just the general, like, spirit of what he stood for, I think, is, Mm -hmm. is so interesting. And, like... The thing, too, in his speeches is he would appeal to, like, the American core ideals. Like, he would reference, like, the Bill of Rights or, like, the, you know, Declaration of Independence. Like, when you're trying to convince 
the whole of America of something like civil rights back in the 60s, 70s, like you had to come at them at an angle that like everyone could get on the same page about. Like we're all people entitled to these basic rights. And I think you did a great job of that. Oh, yeah. And and that's what they talk about in another book we read, The Coddling of the American Mind. They talk about Martin Luther King Jr. in in that exact context. They say like he wasn't talking about um he wasn't exclusive in his conversations he he talked about black america and white america and expanding the social circle mm-hmm. to make white america rep- recognize the humanity in everybody right and to ha- and and by making that circle of inclusion larger he was able to get more white people on board faster and easier and he was an expert at like making them feel like it wasn't like us versus you. Like that's one thing I feel like the Black Lives Matter got off to a rocky start a few years ago because it had all the it had that easy backlash of like all lives matter. Yeah. And people didn't realize like what what they were really doing was ignoring the problem altogether. Right. By saying all lives matter, where Black Lives Matter, and then they, then they had to come out, and then Black Lives Matter got it going. They got momentum, and then they, were, they ultimately were saying like you know we're not wanting more. We just want to be equal, right? And that everyone can get on board with that. that yeah, that's what it turned into, like a linguistic, yeah. like you know, rabbit hole. Right. But the general point being, like Martin Luther King was saying, like trying to appeal to everyone's better, better angels of their nature. Right. 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 And also, you brought out the coddling of the, of the American mind. I've been yeah. thinking about that a lot recently because, really? like, yeah, like I feel like this term "cancel culture" has gotten mm. a lot of traction recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've, yeah, uh, and even Stephen Pinker, like, who wrote the book, like, the better angels of our nature and he's like famous mm. for um i don't know talking about how like he, society has made progress on a lot of fronts that people don't recognize but anyway mm-hmm. like he was recently in the news or about people trying to like you know cancel him or call him out about the way he used certain words or said certain really? things and um and yeah but then like jk rowling and like a bunch of other people mm-hmm. just signed that letter yes. saying that like we need to be a little more tolerant and just and even like Obama said something recently, like people are flawed fundamentally. Uh-huh. So it's like, let's not hold everyone to this super high standard. Like you must be perfect all the time and never right. slip up and never make mistakes. Right. Cause I see this like on the internet, like it used to be more open and free flow of ideas, but I feel like a lot of people are self-censoring now. Cause it's like, wow, I could u- lose my job if I say like something that offends a certain group of people. Right. And then my livelihood is like freaking gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it's to the point where if you tweet the wrong thing and you have a public, like any kind of slightly public facing position, yeah, they, they're gonna you could lose your job because I think there was a guy on Twitter that posted some statistics about police riots in '68 and how they may have helped inadvertently helped Nixon be elected or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the exact thing, but then he was eventually fired because like he was just posting like academic like statistics, not even yeah. like his personal view on it, like, and he got fired. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but. Let, Oh, go ahead. Do you have anything more? Because I want to talk about that Harper's letter. Oh, okay. Because sure. that's the J.K. Rowling and everybody, a bunch of other people signed that letter. Yeah. And it was basically, I didn't read the letter. But I, read, <laughs> I read little snippets of it. We read enough. It's fine. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it was essentially a letter saying that we need to have time for more discourse and not vilify each other, right? Sure. So you have people from all different perspectives on the political and societal spectrum mm-hmm. sign this letter. And then social media like erupts in like trying to 
persecute these individuals who signed this letter because like how could you be associated with x that person on that on on in this yeah. letter you know and it's like it's just so stupid they're basically proving the point of the letter right right you know it's just so asinine <laughs> and there are people who i think backtrack being on the letter because they mm-hmm. didn't know this person had this reputation and it's like this defeating the whole purpose right. like right yeah. if you agree with the words written down you should have no problem writing the letter and like some people like i think a guy from the huff post said like he didn't sign it because he thought thought it was you know self-aggrandizement and like come on anybody who has a, a book to sell or um you know is going to be involved in some self-aggrandizement yeah you know so i mean anybody who has who's a public figure has some self-aggrandizement in, in their favor sure yeah. But, like, just in general, is that the world you want to live in where it's, like, you can't slip up right. ever, like, you always have to say the right thing at the right time mm-hmm. for the right people. Right. And it's, like, we're all kind of, like, dumb and kind of, you know, yeah. well, we're going to say something mistakenly, but, like, at the core, I think most people are good people. Like, I right. want to be optimistic and have that, like, right. positive sense. And most people you interact with on a daily basis, I think, are mm-hmm. basically good people. So let's not, like, try to see the world through this lens of, like, public publicly shaming everyone. And I'm not saying, like, give people a free pass to do whatever they want mm-hmm. and um, bad people can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. I'm saying they should be called out, but, like, let's not try to cancel everyone. Right. I mean, because give people the benefit of the doubt at yeah. first. Sure. Because there's always a line that you cross where it becomes unacceptable, yes. But at first glance, you got to just say, like, hey, you know, yeah, give people the benefit of the doubt. Right. And, and other people that signed that letter... Were like Steven Pinker, Malcolm Gladwell, Jonathan Haidt, who wrote *Calling right. on the American Mind*. So, I felt like it was a legit letter. Yeah. So I think yeah, *The Coddling of the American Mind* is a, a good book worth reading yeah. for these times. Um, and whose pick was that? Who picked that one? Hey, we both picked good books. Oh, before. oh okay, okay. All right, cancel Brian. He's <laughs> he offended me. So. Well, here here's a quote I'll read from this book that we just read, *Soul of America*. Okay. We learn the most from those who came before, not by gazing up at them uncritically or down on them condescendingly, but by looking them in the eye and taking their true measure as human beings, not as gods. Who is that referencing? This is what Meacham wrote at the in the chat in the conclusion. I missed the first part. Oh, we learn the most from those who came before, okay. not by gazing up at them uncritically or down on them condescendingly. Mm-hmm. But by looking at them in the eye and taking their true measure as human beings, not as gods. That's well said. Yeah. That kind of sums up his whole take on people like Teddy Roosevelt, mm-hmm. who had all these flaws and like, right. you know, very like politically incorrect and, you know, not a great person in some ways. But like also compared to a lot of people at that time, he probably did more progressive things than, um, you know, many others. Right. So. All right. I'll just have three more quotes. Sure. Because this, this was the one like literally the next page. When we condemn posterity for slavery or for Native American removal or for denying women their, their full role in the life of the nation, we ought to pause and think. What injustices are we perpetuating even now that will one day face the harshest of verdicts by those who come after us? One of the points of reflecting on the past is to prepare us for action in the present. That's and this goes, to, this goes to what you said. like. 500 years from now when people stop eating meat they're gonna look back on us and be like why did they raise all those animals just to slaughter make all that grow all that food just to feed animals that they're gonna slaughter when they can just right. feed you know use the land for other purposes or or engi- molecular 
molecularly, 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 <laughs> yes, molecularly <laughs> engineer their own food. Yeah. Wow, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I, I like that that meat eating example, I, Tim. Yeah, thank you. I thought of like Spot gas guzzling cars, like oh that too. That's a good yeah. one. All right, I have one quote about McCarthy. Okay. Because I think this one like is spot on to what the, the orange clown in the White House does. <laughs> Good job being indirect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. McCarthy, though, was something new in modern political life. A freelance performer who grasped what many ordinary Americans feared and who had direct access to the media of the day. He exploited the privileges of power and prominence without regard to its responsibilities. To him, politics was not about the substantive, but the sensational. The country feared communism, and McCarthy knew it, and he fed those fears with years of headlines and hearings. A master of false charges, of conspiracy-tinged rhetoric, and of calculated disrespect for conventional figures, McCarthy could dis distract the public, play the press, and change the subject, all while keeping himself at center stage. Wow. It sounds isn't, very familiar. Isn't yeah. that like spot freaking on? Yeah. I mean, like, he's talking about just the media of the 50s, newspaper and television now. So McCarthy would go on TV and, and show himself. And right. and he always had this list of list of communists in, in the Congress. And it, the number always kept changing. And he would never reveal the list because he actually didn't have names because he was making it up. Right. But, like, you just replace McCarthy with Trump and newspaper and television with Myth media and or Twitter and yeah. internet, yeah. Then you got and you got the parallels to today. So is that depressing that after like you know sixty seventy, 70 years, years we haven't learned much from that period? I mean, have we forgot no, the lessons I, from I, it? I think on on first glance you may consider it depressing, sure. But I think another thing, another lesson I take away from this is that um, history and society is more cyclical than we want to than we want to believe we want to believe that all the mistakes from our past we immediately learn from and we come on we know that's not the case humans humans like are creatures of habit we like the things we like we're going to do the things we want to do especially americans good god try so, to get them wear a piece of cloth over their mouth <laughs> all right brian so, i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> what about uh so you don't agree with like pinker who says things are basically getting better oh, on most measures no i completely agree with pinker but like it's it's more it's not a it's not a steady climb. It is a roller coaster, right? Yeah. That continually gra gradually goes up, mm -hmm. and you have your highs, you have your lows, but so your high point and your low point within a twenty year period might be rather substantial. But if you take that twenty year per period compared to a hundred years ago, that is much overall higher. In quality of life and everything right. than it was a hundred years ago. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. History makes steady progress, but there's um, ups and downs. Right as you go. Right. But when you think about like McCarthyism, like I feel like that doesn't. You say that and it doesn't mean a lot these days, or you know, like. But like I feel like maybe just a couple of decades ago that held more weight and saying like let's not start a witch hunt or just make up these false accusations. That's McCarthyism. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, maybe we've forgotten those lessons a little bit. Right. As a culture. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think on, um, not only for that, but also, you know, the greatest generation that fought in the world war two are, are very old now. 
and soon we won't have any more people from that generation. Mm-hmm. And by being removed, and I think I think people use this in talking about Europe right now, with how much division there is in Europe and some far right candidates rising power and and total and authoritative authoritarian figures, um, that they say that the the young people in Europe didn't live through that total war mm-hmm. uh, on the continent so they don't they don't have as much of an appreciation for cooperation between all of the nations in Europe or in the world yeah you know and I think that's yeah like major events are going to shape your worldview oh yeah and generational right and like just how 9-11 and the war on terror was such big in the last 20 years you know right yeah well, yeah, isn't it's hard as a millennial to not feel like the world is <laughs> going to heck when it's like you've lived through the war on terror and the financial crisis and then COVID now and then like, you know, right. all these issues. Right. But like like we talked about, like every generation has its issues. Right. But I think I am encouraged by the resiliency of millennials. Mm-hmm. And I feel like th- these things that we're living through are not just events that happen elsewhere we are taking them to heart and i think that's one good thing about the internet and social media is that we can connect with people all around the world and and be educated on stuff happening you know in other countries and or even are in the upper echelons of our own government we have more transparency there yeah so that millennials can be more active and more educated so that they can make the proper um choices going forward yeah, I wanted to go back to one thing you said earlier about the, um, what was it? Oh, McCarthy being on TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about throughout history how like technology and new mediums of communication like mm-hmm. shape history yeah. and like, and um, I know there's all these studies about how the Vietnam War and TV too like mm-hmm. those went hand in hand and probably like societies protests and everything were a reaction to that violence they saw on TV. Um, but I say all that to say like you know today we have the internet and a lot of people abusing it, um, some tribalism going on, um, some campaigns using it and maybe like abusing it in not appropriate ways. So it's interesting to think about how like technology and mediums change over time and how that changes the, like what do you think is gonna be the next thing in like 20 years that some people are gonna misuse? Ooh, good question. Or I don't even or know if more misuse rhetorical? is the right word, but mm. just like. What about TikTok? Do people get like all, I don't know. I don't use TikTok, so you're you're the TikTok expert here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't use that often. Dude, I mean, uh, it, can TikTok be manipulated or used to encourage and and promote uh, anger and division as much as Twitter and Facebook? I think TikTok's effective at uh, spreading things quickly, so mm-hmm. it could be bad things or good things. But yeah, is Snapchat still a thing? Snapchat's a thing. Okay. It's actually, their stock went up recently because Facebook is getting all this, like, ad boycotts and stuff. Ah, yeah. interesting. So. Huh. I have one final quote. You got one more? Okay. Yeah, Go unless you want, want to add anything no? else. And we could keep talking after this, too. Sure. But I feel like this one is the best one to sum up the book. To know what has come before is to be armed against despair. If the men and women of the past, with all their flaws and limitations and ambitions and appetites could press on through ignorance and superstition, racism and sexism, selfishness and greed, to create a freer, stronger nation, then perhaps we too can right wrongs and take another step toward 
that most enchanting and elusive of destinations, a more perfect union. That's well said. I know. Sum it up well. I think I think he's a he's a very good writer. I I was totally engaged through throughout this whole book. Yeah. Rating it. Well, let me just say one more thing. Is like it makes me appreciate that um, you know even though we have all these things that feel like crises or whatever, it's like it's kind of stress testing the democracy and um, you know society as a whole. So even though it feels like we're going through one crisis after another, it's like at the end of the day we're lucky to like to have the freedoms that we have and you know the quality of living that we have for most people I think Mm -hmm. throughout the country so yeah democracy involves like issues that we have to rise to the challenge and deal with and that maybe makes us stronger as a country absolutely I mean it's just like exercising you know you gotta you gotta stress your muscles for them to grow and get stronger yeah and and so we're just protests or crossfit for the country (laughs) you heard it here first (laughs) I think that's a good place. All right. All right um, rating time. Rating time. What are you going to rate it, Tim? Me first. Yeah. So I'll give it a four out of five. Okay. Respectable. I think I'm, I'm going to give it a four, too. Okay. Yeah. I really liked it. I, I almost want to give it a five. Mm-hmm. But, like, after I finished the book, I'm like, yeah, that's a good solid four. Like, really good. But then reading over my notes again, I'm like, man, he had a lot of good passages. Yeah. So part of me is like maybe I should give it a five, but no, I th- I feel like a five is for books that like you can't get enough when you're reading them, and then when you're done, you're like, yeah, it like uh, changes your life. It's a five. Uh, <laughs> I mean, life changing is a little strong. Okay, it's exceptional. Yes, exceptional. Right. Yeah, that's so. what I was thinking. This was a five through the first like two thirds. Oh, really? And then. And then, like, the reason I went down to four is, like, I feel like in the last third of the book, he didn't really take it too much further that I was, like... Interesting. Yeah. But you said LBJ was your favorite chapter, and that's in the last third yeah. of the book. Yeah, but it's still... I don't know. No, it's, that's it's, fine. It's hard, that's to, fine. it's hard to verbalize, I guess, uh-huh. but... Um, you don't get very yeah. many fives. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought I was very reluctant to ha- hand out my hound out fives but i think i've given more fives on this podcast than what you have. what are our fives respectively we should i mean i can look it up on my goodreads app yeah do you is, do you keep a goodreads app i haven't updated that for a while <laughs> so you have to you have to go back and listen to all our podcasts i can just to look at our... the history and then i'll tell you <laughs> okay yeah all right well that was a good i think our discussion. last i think our last five was uh, exhalation was that our last exhalation did we both do that a five yeah i think so nice. that was really good we good. read we read the sleep book last time. What was the time before that? Oh, uh, existential book, the notes on of the underground. Oh yeah, yeah that yeah. was yeah. But all right, so that was the Soul of America by John Meacham. Highly recommend. Yep, it's a great book. Good book. Um, what are we reading next, Tim? Oh, pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't know why I just thought this might be a good book. <laughs> It just kind of came to me. I know it's kind of random. Uh-huh. Out random of left topic. field. Yeah. yeah. Right out of left field. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to our website, twoguysonebook.com, and see not only Pandemic, but also the next books we'll be reading after that. And you can make little comments and, and tell us what you think of the books that we've read or, or if you have any recommendations for next books we should read. We're all ears, too. So. Yeah. Tell us everything we're doing wrong, how much <laughs> yeah. you hate us and want to cancel us. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> all right. Thank all right, you. Until then. Until next time. Keep reading. Keep reading.